0: So I've got um, a few um, services coming up over the next few months. I think one uh, per month in the evening. So I thought it'd be good to have a look at a book. And uh, I chose the book of Philemon. So over the next uh, few times that I, I speak, uh, we're going to have you having a look at the book. And this evening, we're actually going to have a look at just the first three verses. So Philemon uh, chapter, uh, verses one to three. So if you want to have that open in front of you. Uh, And again, it was page 1060 in the Church Bibles. I don't know how you uh, start an email or a letter, especially if you are trying to broach a tricky subject. It's often the hardest thing to do, isn't it, to work out how you're actually going to start it. Um, Maybe sometimes you uh, make reference to uh, a relationship that you have with them. Maybe you ask them how they are or how their family are. Uh, Maybe you... Ask, uh, refer to a bit of history. You know, maybe say, so, oh, you know, uh, with reference to what we were talking about on the on the phone last week, or whatever. Um, or maybe it's that you uh, reference a, a mutual interest. You know, read that uh, the meeting that we uh, have got next week, or read that uh, whatever it is the um, the topic that you're talking about. Maybe you know you're trying to plan an event or something like that. Maybe you're going to um, start it based on a mutual interest that you have. But it's interesting that kind of first kind of initial uh, thought of uh, on what grounds are you meeting? On what grounds are you uh, coming to them uh, in that correspondence, whether it's an email or whether it's a letter? And uh, this this, uh, book that we're looking at was actually a letter written by Paul. um, And it was really to try and resolve a conflict to bring about some reconciliation and forgiveness uh, between a guy called Philemon, who the letter is to, and uh, one of his... um, runaway slaves uh, a guy called um, Onesimus and you'll see that in those days uh, whereas now we might say to and then the from would come at the end of the letter so you have to kind of read all the way through till you know who it's from uh, in those days they put the 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 two at the beginning so you'll see in the opening verses of the letter uh, not only does Paul say who it's to but he also says who it's from and uh, when I was looking at this I thought You know, we can learn so much, even just from these three verses, uh, about how we approach conflict or difficult situations. Uh, Before we even get to trying to work out how to solve it, is, you know, in what attitude, on what grounds, are we actually going to try and solve uh, this problem? So verses 1 to 3 say, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow labourer, to the beloved Affia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you, and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can see that the letter itself is from Paul, and it's interesting because he doesn't refer to himself as Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, which he does in so many of his letters. You'll see here he calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And again, he doesn't say a prisoner for Christ Jesus, but of Christ Jesus. And I think the reason that he he says that is because actually he knows that even though he is a prisoner because of uh, the gospel that he's been sharing, he's also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that actually it's Jesus who has allowed himself, who's ordained him to get in that position. He doesn't somehow feel that his work is being scuppered and stopped by the Roman authorities who put him in prison, but he knows that actually this is all part of the plan. That not only is he a prisoner for Jesus, but also of Jesus, that it's Jesus, ultimately, that has him in that position. And therefore, he doesn't kind of start with a, a, a sort of a pity party and a, sort of a woe is me, but it's actually just a, a statement of fact. Paul, who is a prisoner. And also, as you'll see uh, as we go through the letter, I think Paul is also... Um, highlighting the fact that he has is in that position because of his faithfulness That actually when we're faithful to the truth when we do the right thing often there are negative consequences to that which we can't avoid and actually when you uh, when we go through the letter and he you look at what he's asking philemon to do there's also some consequences of that as well he's actually asking Philemon, philemon to be faithful to what is right and also to bear with the consequences of that So this is a very personal letter. Um, It's a letter from Paul to an individual. And you see that actually right from the outset, he's not sort of saying, it's me, Paul, the apostle. I'm coming to you with all this apostolic authority. And in the following letter, as we go through, you've just got to do what I say. Actually, you get the impression that Paul, this is a more personal letter from Paul's heart, hopefully to Philemon's heart, to try and bring about a reconciliation so he's not emphasising his authority as he could. And uh, just a little look further into the letter, in verse 8, he says, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And there's an immense humility in that, in terms of you know, where Paul is in his ministry. He could have just be telling people what to do, but still he is appealing to them. Uh, to do what is right and you'll see there that he doesn't just say it's from uh, Paul but also from Timothy and uh, he he refers to Timothy as our brother and it's really emphasizing if you look there that they're all part of the same family he doesn't say uh, my brother Timothy he says our brother Timothy and again you can see that when what Paul is doing is he's approaching Philemon as part of the family that this is not kind of drawing the lines, as it were, between one camp and another camp. But actually what he's saying is, before we get into uh, discussing what's happened, before we face this difficult issue, I want you to know that we're part of the same family. And you'll also see that he, um, Paul seems to single out Timothy from the other people that are with him at the time. So at the end of the letter, in the farewells, you'll see that he mentions quite a few uh, other people, which we're going to come to later in this series, Uh, Epaphras, Mark, uh, Demas, Luke. So why did he single out Timothy? And it seems to uh, be from, you know, what I've read in the commentaries that the commentators think that what he's doing is really is setting Timothy up and encouraging him in that leadership. So actually what he's doing is kind of supporting Timothy's role in the church to kind of establish him as one of the leaders and saying, this is not just from me, but it's also uh, from Timothy. And also I think he's probably establishing that this is not just Paul's idea, that this is not just something that Paul is asking Philemon to do, but it's actually coming from uh, the two of them and also from the whole church. And we know that uh, you know, we're encouraged to have more than one witness, as it were, to a problem, that it's good to actually um, face problems together rather than alone. Where is the letter being written from? Well, most people think it was written from Rome and probably about the same time as the letter to the Colossians. And uh, (coughs) Philemon actually lived in Colossae. He was part of that church. And the the thought is that probably what happened was he wrote the general letter to the Colossians, but also wrote this letter specifically to Philemon. And both of them were going to be delivered uh, by a guy called Tychicus, but also accompanied by Onesimus. So the two of them would take these letters. One was a personal letter and one was a more general letter to the church. So that's who the letter is from. Who's the letter to? Well, you'll see that the, primarily uh, the person that it's to is the one whose the, uh, the letter is named after, and that's Philemon. We don't know a lot about him. As I said, we know that he lived in Colossae, which was a small town. It wasn't one of the most uh, important towns of the area. It was the same kind of area as uh, Laodicea and Ephesus, but they were much more important towns. So as far as we know, he wasn't kind of a, a, a very important person. But we do uh, know from this, or we can assume from this, that he was quite a wealthy person. Why? Because he had um, a house big enough for the church to meet him. So this was probably quite a wealthy person. And we also know that he had at least one slave, uh, Onesimus, but also maybe had others. So this was probably quite a wealthy guy that he's writing to. But he calls him our beloved friend. And again, you can see that Paul uses that word, "hour." And beloved friend is interesting because that's the actual meaning of, of his name, Philemon. It means beloved friend. So you can see that not only is he kind of calling him by his name, but he's also making a point of saying what that name means and the fact that not only are we part of uh, the same family, but we're also friends. And he also calls him a fellow labourer. And again, you notice that word fellow. We're in this together. And we're not just a family, we're not just friends, but actually we're fellow labourers. We're actually in the same work together. We are striving for the same goals. And again, he is emphasising that it's a joint effort, that actually we rely on in each other for doing some work that is greater than us, that this is not some kind of competition. You know, there's not kind of Paul and Timothy on one side, and uh, the church at Colossae and the other and Philemon and all those guys, it's not kind of some um, uh, competition to see whose work is greatest, that actually they're in this together. What is this fellow labour that they're in? Well, I suppose the main thing really is evangelism and discipleship, that they're actually working for the kingdom of God, to build the kingdom of God, and whether that was in Rome or whether that was in Colossae, it didn't matter. They were all part of the same team, as it were, all all fellow labourers, that it's a a joint venture that they are imparting on. And we need one another. You know, I guess that's the the first lesson that we can learn from this is is the work that we do, whether it's uh, us here working together in this fellowship or working with other gospel churches, we're all in this work together. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6 to 9, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labour. We are God's fellow workers. So, they are joint uh, fellow labourers in the work of the gospel, but I think more than that, they're fellow labourers just in community as well. And I think, you know, in the individual uh, society that we live in, we kind of it's easy to forget they actually need one another. You know, I think COVID gave us a little bit of a reminder of that, just how much we do need one another, whether that's kind of people working in schools or hospitals, whether it's people um, delivering uh, food or delivering uh, the post or whether it's people emptying the bins. As a community, we all need one another. And actually, uh, Paul realised that as Christians, we don't work just for each other or the community, but that everything we do, we work for God, that actually we're fellow labourers, even in the practical things of life, for the glory of God. And he says in the uh, letter to Colossians 3, 23 to 24, And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men. From the Lord you will receive the ward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. How encouraging and liberating is it to know that whatever we're doing, no matter how big or small, in church or in our everyday lives, that we are all serving the Lord Jesus himself. You know, it gives our life so much meaning and it also encourages to do a good job. You know, good works is not just about, uh, you know, giving to the poor and everything. We should be doing good work because everything we do is for the glory of the Lord. And you'll see that the, uh, the letter is not just to Philemon, but also to Aphia, um, who, we, again, we know even less about, but uh, the general consensus is that that's probably uh, Philemon's wife. And then Archippus, who again they believe is probably their eldest son. So really this letter is to, is to the family uh, of Philemon. <coughs> and uh, uh, Archippus is mentioned in Colossians 4 verse 17. He says unto Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. And you can see from, uh, from here that Archippus is um, described by Paul as a fellow soldier so we started off uh, with uh, Paul talking about family. He then talks about friends. He then talks about colleagues or work, uh, workmates. And now he's talking about fellow soldiers. And again, you'll see here, he's very um, keen to show that they're fellow soldiers. You know, these are not people on opposing sides. Even though he's trying to, he goes on in the letter to address uh, a difficult area and a potential conflict within the church... He's very keen to show that we are fellow soldiers, that, again, we're on the same side. We're not on opposing sides. What are we fighting? Well, we know that it's not against flesh and blood. And I think, you know, when we uh, have to deal with difficult situations or conflicts, that's the one thing we probably have to remind ourselves more than anything, is that it's not about me versus you. It's not about my ideas versus your ideas. This is not flesh and blood that we are fighting. This is not about us trying to gain earthly influence over someone else or us trying to gain the kind of one-upmanship, if you like, or trying to prove that we're right. That actually, if we are are dealing with conflict, that we have to think about it on a spiritual level. You know, what is happening here in a spiritual terms rather than just, you know, my war is against that person in front of me? Because ultimately, we're fighting for the truth against falsehood. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 103 to 6, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So the main thing really is that we're in a a joint effort here against falsehood. We're in a battle to try and uh, proclaim the truth to the society we live in, but also to encourage ourselves in the truth. And we're also fighting for a godly life. You know, all of us should be fighting together with one another to live a life that is honouring to the Lord, not just in terms of our church life, but also in terms of our home lives, in the way that we raise our kids, in the way that we treat our neighbours, in the fellowship that we have, outside of church and really when Paul talks often in his letters especially to Timothy this is kind of how he refers to this fight that it's actually a fight for um, staying the course if you like for persevering for honoring the Lord in all that we do in 1 Timothy 6 11 to 12 he says but you a man of God flee these things and pursue righteousness godliness faith love patience and gentleness fight the good fight of faith they hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses 2 Timothy 2 3 to 4 you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier and again 2 Timothy 4 verse 7 I have fought the good fight I have finished the race I have kept the faith So our fight is not against one another. Our fight is actually against a common foe. It's against um, falsehood. It's against sin. We are in this fight together to encourage one another and to fight side by side. And then finally, you'll see that this letter is to the church that meets in Philemon's house. And again, what he's doing here is broadening it and saying, well, this is not just to you and your family, to this small group of people that all know each other that actually this is to the gathering in your home. So when he talks about church here, he's obviously not talking about a building, he's talking about a group of people meeting in a home. And again, he's emphasising that importance of meeting together, of, of um, dealing with conflicts together, of encouraging each other together. So what's his first thought towards um, this group? You know, How is he introducing it? Well, he's not going straight in with the difficulty. He actually... Uh, blesses them so you'll see in verse 3 he says grace to you and peace from God our father and the Lord Jesus Christ not only is he coming and saying that we are family that we are friends we're fellow workers fellow soldiers but he's also saying we have the same father that actually this is bigger than just us and again it's something to remember when we do face difficulties that it's so easy sometimes just to see it on that earthly plane of things not going our way or something happening that we don't like but actually we need to lift our eyes up and realize that actually uh, what we're doing here is affecting uh, the way that we're honoring our father and really he's saying that whatever is going on whatever your response to this letter whether you do what I ask you to do or not I am asking I'm offering I am um, wishing uh, grace and peace to you. And grace is that kindness and that favour that we have from God through our relationship with him. Because we've been reconciled to God, we um, experience that kindness and favour. And that is what uh, Paul is asking uh, the father to do for Philemon and the church there. But also the peace, that wholeness that comes from the relationship that we have with God. So actually his first thought towards Philemon and the church in his household is one of blessing. He wants them to experience that relationship, that reconciliation with God and all the kindness and the favour that comes from that, but also the peace and the wholeness that comes from that too. So you see in just these three verses that I think uh, Paul sets the scene for what he is then going to go on and confront in the rest of the letter. And really what he's doing is, first of all, he's looking at it in terms of relationship. What he's saying is that uh, there is a social cohesion, if you like, there is a, a something that holds us together in relationship. We're family and friends. We've got the same father. We're brothers. We are loving one another. We're living for the benefit of each other, even though we might be hundreds or thousands of miles away. And also, he says that we have a, what we might call a task cohesion. There is something that links us together because we're doing the same work. We're fellow workers. We're soldiers. We're allies. We've got the same master and commander. We're fighting for the same cause that is bigger than ourselves. So before we go into this difficult area, before we confront this potential area of conflict, let's remember that we're on the same side, that we're fighting for the same thing. So what can we learn from this introduction uh, about how to approach conflict? Well, I've come up with kind of four things, really. I think the first one is that it's going to happen. In all areas of life, even in church, you're going to face disagreements and you're going to face conflicts. You know, here was Paul in the early church, and sometimes we can look back on sort of rosy tinted glasses at, at that time. But they faced many difficulties. They faced many areas of conflict and disagreement. And it's important that we do stand up for what is right. You know, it's not that we're all just so uh, lovey-dovey that we just, uh, you know, uh, we, we don't see any difficulties. And if we do see them, we don't confront them. It's important that we do confront them, but it's important that we confront them in the right way. And also based upon truth, that we're not just going with gossip, that we do have witnesses, that there's other people that agree that this is something that we need to tackle. And it's important that we work together on it, that it's not just kind of two people with a disagreement. But actually, you know, as the Bible says, if you can't uh, deal with that yourself, then you might need to involve the church because it will affect the church. You know, uh, personal disagreements or things that are festering and going uh, unresolved can affect the life of the church. So firstly, we are going to face these things, um, no matter how wonderful our church is, or no matter how great our life is, we will face difficulties. And secondly, we should use any authority or position we have wisely to serve and encourage others. As I said, you know, Paul could have just said, right, well, I'm the apostle, now you've just got to do what I say, and I'm ordering you to do this. But he didn't. Because what he did was he led by example. You know, the sheer fact that he was in prison meant that he was somebody that was willing to do what was necessary uh, for the gospel of Christ. He was willing to uh, suffer uh, in order to do what was right. But also he led primarily by serving and teaching and encouraging. You know, if you look at most of his letters, he tries to get people to understand why they should live in the way that they should live. He tries to encourage them and teach them. And that's the way that he leads. And he also leads by example. You now, how many times do we see him saying, uh, follow my example? It's so sad when a leader has to say, you know, uh, you know do what I say and not what I do. <clears throat> and that's something that came out in the Queen's funeral, wasn't it? Just what a uh, great example she was in the way that she led. So Paul really respected Philemon's rights. He had rights under Roman law in terms of how he treated his slaves. Um, and Paul kind of respected that and said, look, I realise that you don't have to do what I say, you know, I, I, I'm not the law, I don't tell you what to do. <clears throat> um, but what he did was appeal to a higher standard. He said, you know, as an apostle, I could tell you what to do, but actually I'm appealing to this higher standard of what is right. And if you remember, Jesus said in Matthew 20, 25 to 28, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who, have great ex- those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus himself set that standard of what leadership should look like and how we should serve and and lead. It's also um, important. The third thing is that we uh, approach difficult situations from that foundation of relationships. You know, as I said, Paul could have just said, well, you know, I'm in charge here and uh, there's something wrong here and this is what you need to do and this is what you need to do. But he's very uh, keen, I believe, in this introduction to, to come at it from relationship, first and foremost. To say that actually we need to look at what's common here and uh, the fact that we, are, are, we love one another, we're the same family. So number three in uh, what I think we can learn is that we must, should approach difficult situations from the foundation of relationship with a common goal and an attitude of love. And just as Paul did, we should treat each other as family, even if we totally agree, disagree with them, even if we think that we, we've uh, been wronged or that they've done something wrong. We need to remember that we're family. 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 to 2. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters, with all purity. So before we go like a bull in a china shop to try and sort something out, even though we might think we've got a righteous cause, let's just take that step back and remember that we're family. Also, we need to uh, aim to bless others and to try and maintain that that sense of unity and community. Now, I'm not saying, again, that we brush things under the carpet, but we also have to just take that step back and and say, why am I doing this? Am I doing this to try and bolster my position? Am I trying to prove that I'm right and someone else is wrong? Or am I actually doing this because I want to bless other people? Am I doing this to try and maintain unity and to, uh, to, to help that community to grow? And really, we need that focus on what we have in common. You know, often when we get in difficulties or there's conflict, we start to look at our differences and we can start to kind of draw those lines and take those sides. But actually, Paul reminds us that we... Our brothers, we're friends, we're labourers, we're soldiers. You know, Paul talks about our brother, our friend, fellow labourers, fellow soldiers. Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 3. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all loneliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And we must continually remind ourselves, especially when we're facing conflicts or difficulties, that we are a family of the same father. We're friends of the same heavenly friend. We're colleagues in the same work for the same master. We're comrades on the same battlefield for the same commander. And I think if we do this, if we do take a deep breath and take a step back before we launch in, it will help us to maintain the right motives for what we're doing, to actually think, why am I doing this? With what attitude am I doing this? It'll also help us to assess how important the issue really is. Is this really something that I need to sort out? Is this something that has to be uh, tackled or is it something that I can just let go? And it's also important to see, try and see things from the other person's perspective. To try and realise that, you know, maybe our way is not just the only way of looking at it. If this is a fellow Christian, if it's somebody that loves the Lord... If this is somebody that knows the truth as I do, then maybe I need to just try and see things from their point of view and see if there's something that actually I can learn from them rather than just thinking that they're wrong. And it's interesting because if you look at uh, Paul and uh, the, the, other guy, the other people in this letter, Philemon and uh, Onesimus and the other guys there, Luke, all of those mentioned, they're very, very different. You know, these were not people that were all the same. These were people that were actually separated, very different in race, in culture, in class, Uh, people very different in education levels, in social status, but they're, all of them, united in Christ. And this is really what Paul is saying, is that he's saying, although we are so different, and we could easily look at our differences, and we could easily come up with so many things that we disagree on, actually, we have a unity in Christ that we need to maintain. And whenever we're facing difficulties, we need to remember that. And we need to to look at what we have in common before we start looking at what is different. Fourthly, we must aim to reconcile and to forgive. You know, in Romans 12, verse 18, Paul says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. You see, it's very easy, again, for things to go, uh, to keep festering and to be unresolved. But actually, in all things, we should be trying to live at peace. We should be trying to reconcile. We should be trying to forgive and keep short accounts with each other. Why? Well, for the sake of the unity of God's family, but also for the sake of the work that we do. You know, if we are disunited, then it affects the success of the work we do. But this is not going to be a quick and an easy process. You know, forgiveness is not an easy thing if you do it from your heart. It's easy to say, oh, I forgive you. But actually to truly mean it from the heart is another thing. So we need to create a culture where we can be honest and not let things fester. Where actually we can go to one another and say, look, I don't think what you're doing is right, or what you said or what you did is really hurtful, or have you thought about this? And again, that's going to take time as we get to know one another to try and create a culture where we can do that. Ephesians 4, 14 to 15, talks about that uh, speaking the truth in love, doesn't it? And it says that, you know, if we can do that, if we can not just speak truth, but speak it in love, then we will grow up into all things in Christ. Because we have to do the right thing in the right way. You know, how often have you seen somebody, they're doing the right thing. It's it's right what they're trying to do, but they're actually going about it in completely the wrong way. That actually they're trying to do something for the glory of God, but the way they're doing it really dishonors God. It's not done in a loving way. So if we are going to challenge, we must do it in a way that is graceful and respectful. If we do have authority, we must use it in a way that is not controlling and manipulative, that is not kind of there just to make us feel better, but actually is there for the good of all. Because if you, as we go to look through the, the rest of this letter, we'll see that actually what Paul is trying to do is to maintain that unity, is to actually get everybody to look up and think, we are a group of people that would never come together under different circumstances. But actually, the one thing that we, that we have in common is Christ. And therefore, what we have to remember is that whenever we're trying to deal with difficult situations, that we have to remember that, that we are part of the same family. Not only are we part of the same family, but we're also friends, friends of one another and friends of God. And not only that, we're also co-workers, we're fellow workers, not just with one another, but with God in this wonderful gospel work that he is doing. And also we are soldiers, fellow soldiers, fighting together in God's army, not against flesh and blood, not for status and, and material gain, but for God's glory. So hopefully you'll see as we go through this book that actually how we lay the foundation is so important. And just in these three verses, as Paul introduces Uh, himself and this letter we can learn things that are so important for us as we face difficulties now that might be difficulties we face in church but it also could be difficulties uh, that we face in our life so as we do that may God help us to just take that step back before we kind of launch in and just say on what grounds do I come on what grounds do I want to deal with this situation on what grounds am I coming who is this person before us and what do we share in common that whatever we do, we might not just do the right thing, but do it in the right way to the glory of God. Amen.